Glad you came out tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> this is where you get replugged in in the middle of the week. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you this evening. We're thankful, Lord, to be in the church house. Lord, uh, I know there's a handful of people that would like to be here but can't be. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that you gave us uh, the health to get here. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the ability and the gas in the tank and the energy in our body and the strength, Lord, and the desire to even walk through the door. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us now as... We approach the Word of God, Lord, without a filling of the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we're just nothing but uh, animated balls of sin. So would you help us? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Father, would you bless those who couldn't come but wanted to? Father, we love you and we pray for those who are out uh, sick tonight, not feeling well. Pray for my Esther. Pray that you'd raise her back up out of the hospital bed there. Pray that you'd give the doctors wisdom. And Lord, many uh, people in the church family have physical needs have spiritual needs, Lord, they have, uh, Lord, just uh, longing in their heart, Lord, to be home with you. So, Father, we pray now that you come home and get us out of this old place soon. And, Father, since we can't right now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, verse 18 is where we left off. We'll pick that up. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, uh, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So we preached about a good warfare, amen? And as a child of God, uh, you're going to have to fight a good fight, Paul says, and you're going to have to learn to war a good warfare. I want to give you some references, and we gave you last uh, time we were together, we gave you about six things that were on the board, and we erased them, and that's all right, but how to war a good warfare. All right, but I'm going to give you some references that are talking about war and a good warfare. And I'm going to take you in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus chapter 15 for a minute. Exodus chapter 15. Uh, since a lot of Christians don't read their Bible like they should, amen, I probably would say that one of the greatest sins amongst Bible-believing people is a lack of Bible reading. And uh, since Christians don't read their Bible like they should, a lot of times... Uh, Christians are guilty of not knowing what the Bible says. Uh, Exodus 15, verse 3. And it don't matter how you read it, how much you read it, how long you read it. I guess the thing is, are you just reading it? Amen. And the best way you're going to do it is just go ahead and start in Genesis and go all the way to resolutions. <laughs> Amen. And just you're just going to have to do it. Eventually, uh, you know, my wife's real good at She gets... Uh, She's got this chronology thing laid out, and she's all analytical, and she's real smart that way, and she, she does her Bible chronologically, and I get confused looking at the thing. But, uh, but I, just, I just open it up, and I go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 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 you know what I mean, and go all the way through. <laughs> but you're going to have to learn that. Look at Exodus 15, verse 3. <clears throat> Bible says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Ain't that something? <laughs> I'll take a quick side note here. I remember I got into a corporate position with the ice cream company. I, I had now advanced from the ice cream suit to the office suit. 
and they, uh, they introduced me to this thing called email. It's pretty dangerous. And then this thing called email is a signature. And everyone, you have to put your signature. You know what I'm talking about? You all know what I'm talking about now. And everyone's familiar with the signature. And they, you know, you know they, everyone's got their little fan, fantastic saying there that, that establishes who they are. And I'm like, I've got to come up with something special. I've got to come up with something that's catchy. And the first thing I opened my Bible was Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a man. Yes, that's it. So I put that on there. My boss emailed me. He's like, you, probably, you can do what you want, but probably not coming off right. <laughs> uh, so I had it there for about a, a hot second and got rid of it. Amen. <laughs> what are you doing? Selling ice cream or shooting people, man? <laughs> but ain't that something? Most Christians don't know that about the Lord. Most Christians, if we're to be honest with each other, all they know is that God's love. And uh, they might hear the preacher talk about God's merciful and God's grace and God has the uh, uh, personality of justice and his, uh, his uh, characteristics. But how about that? The Lord is a man of war. Ain't that so? We're talking about references on warfare. And verse is pretty, clean, pretty plain, and the Lord's our leader. Look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verse 8. These are just some references that you uh, would do well to mark about the Lord, about warring a good warfare. Now, the Lord, no doubt, he is a man of war. And you know what you find out? The more you read the Bible, he fights for Israel. He doesn't fight for the United States. And I know some people will throw up in their, you know, uh, you know in their barf bag uh, when they hear that, but he's not going to fight for the United States of America. He fights for Israel. That's plain as the nose on my face. Psalm 24, 8. And better yet, by the way, when we, if you suffer uh, for Jesus Christ, when you come back, you'll go ahead and fight for Israel too. And you come back on a white horse. You say, well, I don't like violence. Well, you better get used to it because you'll be coming back hacking off heads. Amen. You know why men like war movies? Because if you suffer for Jesus Christ, you come back, you can go hack some heads. Amen. And you won't have to worry about the psycho, psychological falling out of taking a man's life. It'll be a righteous thing. But enough of that. Look at Psalm 24, 8. The Bible says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Isn't that great? The Lord strong and mighty. That's a great psalm. Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13. Strong and mighty in battle. Now that's our leader. That's the God you and I serve, a Second Chronicles. Aren't you glad you serve a God that's powerful and almighty? He's a man of war. He's strong and mighty in battle. Uh, he's not going to sit down and politic with any of these nations. He's going to come back and he's going to wipe them out. That's what he's going to do. I'm thankful for that. You say, why? Aren't you tired of politics? Aren't you tired of people lying right to your cotton-picking face all the time? You turn on the news, how are they lying? Well, their mouth's moving. 2 Corinthians 13. Amen. Look at uh, 12. I'm sorry, Chronicles. Yeah. 2 Chronicles 13, 12, the Bible says, And behold, God himself is with us for what? For our captain. You see that? 13, 12. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain. I want you to see that. So it's very clear. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is our captain. And uh, go back to first. Uh, well, I want you to see that in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2. 
Hebrews chapter 2. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Sure is. I'm going to show it to you in the New. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus Christ is our captain, and we got a good one. <clears throat> now, Hebrews chapter 2, that's towards the end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Bible says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are, are all things in bringing many sons unto glory, that's you and I, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Isn't that wild? As for Jesus Christ, he's our captain. He's our leader. Now go back to First Chronicles 5. Just a couple more references on this thing about warfare. First Chronicles chapter 5. Here's something you need to pay attention to and, and never get the idea that it's anything but the Lord and who the Lord has in charge. First Chronicles 5.22. Now here in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 22, it says, For there fell down many slain. Now look at that next phrase. Because the war was... Of God. I want you to get a hold of that. You know why there's war? God. The war was of God. The old preacher said this. He said this. War is God's judgment on sin here. Hell is God's judgment on sin hereafter. You know why there's war? Because that's God's judgment. You get that, right? War is God's judgment on sin here. You know why there was a civil war? God's judgment on sin. You know why there was a French and Indian war? God's judgment on sin. You got to get a hold of that. Every time there's a war in this book, God's behind it. And God, what he's done is he's petitioned the devil to do the dirty work. So what you got over there, you got Ukraine and you got uh, Russia. So every time you see, here's the dangerous thing about politics that many of you don't understand and don't realize, and don't realize that when you get in that high of a position politically, that what you are is you are usually attached to a devil. That's powers, that's principalities, is what that is. So when God wants to judge sin on this earth, you know what he does? He says, All right, devil, you can go do your dirty work there. And whatever principalities connected up with Ukraine, what's his name? Vladimir Zelensky there a 45-year-old comedian and actor made lots of money off the, you know, showbiz, a 45-year-old celebrity, amen. All right, and so the devil goes, okay, <clears throat> you know, whoever, you know, the imp that's uh, impressioning Zelensky there, you, uh, you need to dream about uh, fighting Putin, and then whatever devil's uh, messing around and uh, Putin's following, because that's principalities and powers, that's the rulers of darkness of this world. That's what they're connected to. And the Lord's like, all right, you do business over there. And so then Putin wakes up one morning and goes, I bet you Zelensky thinks I'm ugly. And the devil goes, well, at least you got that right. <laughs> and so what do you do? Oh, they start fighting each other. It's exactly how it goes. Why? Because the war was of God. You really don't think that history does itself, Right? You don't really think that people wake up and do anything of themselves, do you? That war, the wars are of God. I'm talking about warfare. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You need to understand that. 
I mean, really, Zelensky, 45 years old, and you got Vladimir Putin, he's 71, he spent 16 years in the KGB. I can almost guarantee you that Putin killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds before Vladimir was even born. Zelensky. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, in this thing about warfare and spiritual warfare, what you need to understand in this thing is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Now, you know the verse, but it, you need to see it in the light of what we're studying. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the Bible says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. All right, spiritual warfare, our weapons are not carnal. Now, you're close by, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This thing on warfare, you need to understand this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, I'll get you over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 3, and what does Paul tell us to do? Uh, through the, uh, Brother Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, in verse 3, 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That is what our generation struggles with. Hard times come, and it blows us to bits, doesn't it? It does. Uh, endure hardness as a good soldier. So if you can't endure hardness, I guess it means you're not a good soldier. That's a hard thing. And nobody likes hard times. Uh, t- you're, you're close by, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit told you. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, you've got, uh, you know the passage real well. You've got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. You know what that is? Ephesians uh, 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. So this warfare, it's real. God orders it. You're supposed to endure hardness. Hard times are going to come. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and the Lord's given you armor for it. You see it? He's given you provisions. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Look in verse 7. And that, of course, is for the soldier. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I wonder if every Christian this morning put on the whole armor of God or they just woke up and went into the battle naked. I mean, you think about the, if you knew you were going to face uh, frontline fire today, physical frontline fire, would you not put on your Kevlar vest? Would you not put on your, whatever they're making helmets out of these days, would you not put on your, you know, would you make sure your weapon was clean? Wouldn't you make sure that you had extra rounds? Extra magazines, would you not make sure that you had a sidearm and then one stuck down in your ankle or something? Yeah, I would. <laughs> would you make sure that the ammo you had, if you could afford it, would be uh, like jacketed hollow points? <laughs> so you wouldn't have to waste so many rounds? <laughs> you say, what's the difference? Well, you shoot some milk carton with a little round ball ammunition, poke a hole in it and drain the water out, but you shoot that thing with a jacketed hollow point, the thing blows up. <laughs> That's the one I want. <laughs> I was trying to get that across to an evangelist so back in about 2002. He's like, I don't understand, Brother Jeremy. I, what does that even mean? I'm like, all right, honey, get the, the milk jug. And so we filled it up uh, with water and uh, we put it out there. And we put in, the, it was, I had a 45 uh, at that time. And I said, shoot it with that. And he shot it with that and just, you know, put a big old hole in there and just so the water just drained out and, and take out the next one and put the jacket on, point in that thing, hit that boom. 
blue all over the place. I said, which one would you rather carry? I'll take the jacket of the hollow point. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Notice this. He says, Paul says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges and planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock. All right, it says, who goeth war, a warfare any time at his own charges. Ain't that something? Ain't that wild? Now, let me, let's just hit that thing for a second. Look at 1 Kings. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you something here. 1 Kings chapter 20. Now, listen, you need to understand that the battles of the Lord, the wars of God, and you've been given armor, and you've been uh, given weapons, and they're not carnal, and you're supposed to endure hardness. But I want to show you the problem with a lot of Christians today. And this thing uh, is something everyone needs to look at. Here's the trouble in Christianity today. 1 Kings chapter 20. It's a great chapter. Look at verse 11. I'll back up to verse 10. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 20 verse 10, And Ben-Hadad said unto him and said, sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls. For all the people that follow me and the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Now this is about the only good thing King Ahab ever said, and here he had just a little bit of guts. And the reason that Ahab's got a little bit of guts is because, you know, Elijah, he went down to Carmel there, and he made 450 prophets of Baal. He turned it into a non-profit organization, amen? And with all that sin out of the camp, and Israel purged of that part there, besides the Jezebel still living, but he's got a little bit of guts because he uh, took care of all the wicked false pre- uh, prophets there, and uh, he's got a clear conscience, and he can finally face a fight against his enemies. And the reason you can't face your enemies sometimes is you got too much garbage. Amen. That was good. That was kind of the backdoor jab there. But here's the thing. Ben-Hadad, the captain of Syria in verse 10, what he's doing, you know what he's doing? He's bragging. He's bragging before the battle's even started. And that's what Christians like to do today. Uh, they're bragging because they want a firefight. Now look, a firefight or a skirmish ain't the war. And uh, Christians brag all the time because they got a few enemy and they captured them and they brought them over to the captain. Everyone's running around, running their mouth and bragging. But listen, uh, that's not a good warfare. When you brag of what you think you're going to do, that's not being a good soldier. That's not a good warfare. Now look at verse 11. Here's Christianity today. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. So here's a guy, Ben-Hadad, and he's just ready to put on his armor. He's getting ready to put on his armor, and he's already bragging like he's won the war. And that's a bad sign in a Christian's life, boasting before they even got out in the battle. And you'll hear Christians, I've heard Christians say it, you've probably heard it. They say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I've done this, or I've done that. And they've never been out to battle before. They're just bragging. They're not, they didn't even put their armor on. And uh, you need to watch out for that. <clears throat> now, let me give you this thing here. Now, I looked these things up, and there's now about eight of them, but there's about four main discharges in the service. There's four main discharges in the service. Now, there's, there's some smaller ones, but we don't worry about those. So first of all, the first discharge in the service is an, indes- is an undesirable discharge or a dishonorable discharge. And that means that you're not desirable for military service. That's an undesirable discharge or a dishonorable discharge. 
That means you're a deviant or a, or a pervert. It used to mean that you were a queer, uh, but now the queers have infiltrated the ranks, so it can't mean that anymore. It just means you're a deviant. It means you're not fit to be in the service. Remember, we're talking about war and a good warfare. And uh, so the number two, there is a general discharge, a general discharge, and that means someone gets discharged just for general purposes. Uh, in other words, something that's bad, but not as bad as being dishonorable, all right? And then number three, you have a medical discharge, a medical discharge of something wrong with you medically, you know, one arm shorter than the other, one ear's missing, or, you know, you got one eye, <laughs> or whatever, something wrong with you, and in peacetime, usually those medical requirements are stiffer. <laughs> and then, of course, number four, there's an honorable discharge, and that's being discharged from the service for honorable reasons. And, of course, finishing your course, finishing your term, uh, finishing your duty, uh, doing a job, a job well done. And uh, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I want to show you this. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're talking about discharges in the service, in the service. I never was in the service. Um, I've often thought, uh, often thought about going in, but I thought I was going to be in uh, 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 law enforcement, and the Lord changed my course, and thankfully did. But uh, Solomon, the wisest man next to Jesus Christ, in Solomon chapter 8, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Look at verse 8. Look what he says. He says, uh, no, we don't want to read that. That's Song of Solomon. That's uh, kind of difficult there. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Don't run 8-8 eight, eight on Song of Solomon. <laughs> Talking about being a deviant, man. <laughs> Y'all are looking at Song of Solomon. I know you are. <laughs> Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8, 8, There is no man that hath power of the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. You see that? You know when you get discharged? When they put you in a box. And there is no discharge in this war here. And uh, <clears throat> listen, I don't want a general discharge. Uh, I pray to God I don't have a medical discharge unless he wants me to have one. And then if he does, he'll have to have me, give me the grace to go through it. I definitely don't want a dishonorable discharge, but I want an honorable discharge for Jesus Christ. I really do. Now let me, uh, let me give you a couple things here, How uh, uh, something about the service. Here's something about the military that's like Christianity, all right? Let me give you this. Number one, you've got to join, unless there's a draft, but you've got to join up. You know, when you get saved, you become a soldier in the army of the king of kings, but you still got to join up. A lot of Christians are saved, but they never joined up. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Just kind of fell, fell off right there. A lot of Christians are, amen? You trust Jesus Christ, you're saved. But how many Christians do you know? They don't do nothing for the Lord. Why? You got to join up. You know what happens the first, uh, when, first thing that happens when you go into the service? Some of you all know. They change your appearance from a civilian to a soldier. That's what they do. Now, look, I know a uniform doesn't make a soldier. Did you hear that? Just because someone puts on a uniform doesn't make them a soldier. Amen? Uh, but even an undesirable or dishonorable discharged soldier, if he walks around in a uniform, you'll think he's a soldier. 
So your appearance is very important. And the reason they shave those guys' heads is to identify you. <laughs> so every man ought to cut his hair. That's the only thing you'll hear me say about it. Ain't that something? Some of y'all ain't got no hair to cut, amen? <laughs> but uh, you say, why? Why should a man cut his hair? You're in boot camp. You see that? And in boot camp, you don't go right out into the battle, do you? You got to go through boot camp. And after you get out of boot camp, what happens next? Well, then you go to school, don't you? You got boot camp, and then you got school, whatever you're going to specialize in, you know? You're going to be a sniper. You're going to be a whatever. You're going to be a tank repair guy. Or you're going to... You know, you're going to be a chief cook and bottle washer or whatever you're going to be. You know, you're going to, you're going to be a jarhead and be in the first, you know, 50,000 that run in and, and get shot. And you're just a bullet stop. That's all you are. Amen. But after boot camp, you got school and then comes the battle. That's how it goes. Boot camp, schooling, and then the battle. And uh, that's how the military works. And by the way, that's how Christianity works. You don't get saved and go right into battle. I mean, even stop and think about Israel. When the Lord got them out of Egypt, uh, he protected them. They had to get schooling before they went into battle. You see that? All right. <clears throat> and it all do you good to keep in mind that the likeness is there. And a Christian, you ought to be militant in your Christianity. I'm going to lose some of you on this one, but that's all right. I believe you should be militant. When it comes to your job, you're militant. When it comes to your sports, you're militant. You know facts, you know figures, you know schedules, you know times, but why shouldn't you be militant in your Christianity? Why, why militant about everything else? Why militant about your flesh but not your spirit? And I know, I know the problems. I know the unbalance that comes with that thing. You can get unbalanced and you can be all hoorah and gung-ho for everything and, and just be a burn everyone's saddling, got enough sense to come in. I understand all that, but you ought to be militant in your Christianity. Amen. I, if it came to, see, what happens is when a young man gets fired up for Jesus Christ, he gets full of zeal, and he lacks knowledge. But I tell you what, if I had a choice between the two, I'd take zeal over knowledge. Because a lot of Christians I've met over the years, they're full of knowledge, and their head's so big, and they walk around, they can't even get through the door. Their stinking head's so big, they think they know so much, and they ain't got no zeal, and they won't pass out tracts, they won't witness, they won't tell them about the Lord. And they're sitting there with a big head. <laughs> you know, they can't even ride in a car with anybody. <laughs> Their head's so big. But uh, listen, you, uh, you might be in boot camp. You might be in school. And you might be in the battle. But you, you ought to war a good warfare. Go back to First Timothy. I want to give you that stuff on that because that's good stuff. You ought to be militant in your Christianity. And the more militant you'll be in your Christianity, the more boldness the Lord will give you to publish His Word. Now listen, the Lord won't give you boldness to be a fool for, for yourself, but you'll be considered a fool for Jesus Christ, that's for sure. All right, look at 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul says to Timothy, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. And of course... The prophecies which went before on thee, that's 2 Timothy 1.6. That's when he was ordained by the laying on of hands. And then he says that thou by them, those are the prophecies, mightest war a good warfare. Now watch that thing in verse 19. How, how else do you war and fight a good warfare? Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. You see that? 
if you're a good soldier and you're warring a good warfare, you got to hold two things. Number one, you got to hold faith. What's faith? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, that's the shield, isn't it? The shield of faith. Then you got to hold a good conscience. Where is that found? Well, that's inside the helmet of salvation. You got to have a good conscience. But now I want you to see what happens when somebody is not fighting a good warfare. Look at what happens when someone is not holding the shield of faith and their conscience gets seared and their conscience gets to the place where the Word of God can't work in it anymore. Look what it says in verse 19. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Well, what have they put away? They put away faith. They put away their conscience. They put away their faith and they put away their conscience. They put away warring a good warfare in 18. They put away the grace of God. They put away the pattern of God in verse 16. They put away the honor of God in verse 17. They put away the glory of God in verse 17. And what happens? Well, the verse says when that this is put away, it says, Some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. It's right there. And you can tell. Verse 16, when someone doesn't want to suffer for Christ anymore, they're going to eventually be shipwrecked sooner or later. I mean, sooner or later, they're going to give up. I'm not excited to tell you that, but that's how it goes. If you put away your faith, if you put away your conscience, uh, sooner or later, you'll quit. I'll show you something. Look at Jeremiah 42. Holy Spirit's going to give you a great message here real quick. Notice I give him the credit. It sure ain't going to be me. Uh, Jeremiah 42, 14. It's a great message here. But here's how a person gets before they get shipwrecked. And I want you to see it. I believe everything in this Bible is important. Amen. And if you ever come across a preacher that can't feed you, get you one who can, man. 42.14, now look at back up to verse 13. We're going to look and see how a person gets before they get shipwrecked. Verse 13, but if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, Jeremiah 42.14, right? You're there, saying no. What do they say? No. Now watch. But we will go into the land of Egypt. Now pay close attention. Because here is the process of getting backslid. Here is the process of getting shipwrecked. They're going back to Egypt, right? And Egypt is a type and picture of the world. Now watch what happens before they go back into the world. Where we shall, number one, see no war. You know what happened? They're sick and tired of fighting spiritual warfare. You see it? Where we shall see no war. That's number one. It's right in front of your face. Christians are sick and tired of fighting the battle. And they want to go back to Egypt. It's a type and picture of the world. Where we shall see no war. They'd rather just go back to Egypt. Why? A Christian life, if you live in it right, is going to be a fight. Now I'll give you number two. He says in verse 14, Nor hear the sound of the trumpet. Now, you know what Isaiah 58.1 says? Isaiah 58.1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. You know what that trumpet is? That trumpet's preaching. You know what they want to do? They don't want to fight anymore. They don't want to fight the fight, and they don't want to hear preaching. You see that? 
there it is. They don't want to fight the fight, and they don't want to hear the preaching, something else. Number three, nor have hunger of bread, and there will we dwell. You see that? They don't want the Word of God anymore. They don't want to fight the spiritual battle that you're going to have to face every single day. They don't want to hear preaching, and they don't want the Word of God anymore. They're going back to Egypt, and uh, they're getting shipwrecked, aren't they? Now look at 15. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if, that's conditional, right? If you wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt, that's a picture of the world, right? And go to sojourn there, watch what God will do when you get shipwrecked. Look at 16. Then it shall come to pass that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine thereof you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there shall ye die. Shipwreck. What you got, Christian, is you got an outline by the Holy Spirit of God. There you shall, that's spiritual death. It's not talking about a a spiritual death, that's a spiritual death. You don't want to fight no more. You don't want preaching no more. You don't want the book no more. Then just go ahead and quit. Just go ahead and go. Go back to Egypt. Go back to the world. And the Lord says you're going to die there. And we'll find you in 10, 15, 20, 30 years shipwrecked. And that's what happens. You see it? It's right there. Just shipwrecked in some place all by yourself. Mad at the church. Mad at the preacher mad about circumstances in life, and you're the one that pulled up stakes, went back to Egypt, and the Lord says you're going to die there. All right, here's something else. Look at Acts 27. Talk about being shipwrecked. Now, this is the Holy Ghost. He's preaching to you right through His Word, Acts 27. Remember, Paul's on board in Acts 27. You know, you got half the New Testament on board in Acts chapter 27. Man, what a ride. Do you realize if the Apostle Paul and that ship would have went down, you wouldn't have a New Testament? You wouldn't have 50% of it. <laughs> That's how you know that ship wouldn't have went down without protection. All right, now you know uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 27, there's a shipwreck over there, and Paul's on board. And over there, in, was it verse 1? I'm sorry, verse 14, you've got Eurocleton, that great windstorm there. Isn't that verse 14? And right before the ship wreck happens in verse 21, uh, look at verse 21. What does it say? But after a long, what's that word? Abstinence. You see that? Someone hasn't been doing the things you're supposed to do in verse 21. You see that? But after a long abstinence. And you'll notice in verse 18 what you're supposed to do. The last three words in verse 18, what's it say? Lighten the ship. You see that in verse 18? You know what you're supposed to do in a storm? You're supposed to throw the things out that are holding you down. But they wouldn't do it. They're not doing the things that they should have. They should have been lightening that. Listen, when you go through storms in your Christian life, you're going to have to get rid of some stuff. The Lord take you through a storm and try to get you to lighten your load so He can do something with you. Amen. Look at verse 23. After you lighten the ship... After you let go of some things, you're going to have to, verse 23, you're going to have to let God be true to you and be real to you. Look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. God can't be real to you until you learn to lighten that load, lighten the ship, some of you hanging on to some junk, man. Throw that stuff overboard. 
Why? You're about ready to be shipwrecked. All right, and then in verse 25, you're going to have to believe the promises that God's given you. You've got a whole lap full of them. Verse 25, Paul says, Wherefore, sirs, be a good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. You see that thing? Man, this thing is just clear as a nose on my German face. All right, now, not only that, then you're going to have to be thankful for the storm in verse 35. Verse 35, Paul gave thanks to God. You see that? Talking about avoiding shipwreck. Now look at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Now that's not talking about salvation. What the spiritual application of this thing is this. The Holy Spirit's telling you, unless you stay in church, you're going to be a mess. You jump ship, man. You're going to get shipwrecked. You've got to stay in church. You're going to be in a mess. You're going to get shipwrecked. I've seen them. I could tell you plenty of individuals, and I ain't gonna, that are completely shipwrecked, that used to listen to the preaching, shipwrecked, but now won't listen. But that's, uh, that's about being shipwrecked. Now, let me, sh- let me show you some, uh, some ways not to get shipwrecked in your Christian life. I want to give you some ways before we get out of here tonight. Now, listen, if you obey these things, you won't shipwreck your Christian life. I'm trying to help you. I'm not just trying to tell you stories and give you... You've had three sermons already. Now, I know I'm not preaching them, but you know what I'm saying. You've had three sermons already with points and... All right, but if you disobey these things, you will shipwreck your Christian life. All right? Now, first of all, there's a condition on these verses we're going to run. And if you do what these verses, God will bless you. If you do what these verses say, God will bless you. How many of you here want a blessing? You want a blessing? All right, you've got to do what these verses say. And if you don't, you're going to shipwreck your Christian life. Take your Bible, go to Job chapter 6. Job, we're talking about avoiding shipwreck. Job chapter 6, and uh, watch what this Bible has to say about people which err from the faith and people become backslid and shipwreck. You know what I know about people getting shipwrecked? It doesn't happen overnight. When someone gets shipwrecked, it hasn't happened overnight. This thing takes a, this thing takes a process of time. And you know what I know? Uh, there's an evil pattern of thinking that happens before any uh, prodigal leaves a father's house. There's an evil pattern of thinking that goes on. Look at Job 6.24. Here's another good message here by the Holy Spirit. Job 6.24, he says, Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. You know what he's asking God? He's saying, God, show me where I did wrong. Now listen, if you pray that prayer, you'll not get shipwrecked in your Christian life. If you regularly pray that prayer, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I erred. You see that? That's Job 6.24. But if you don't, if you don't ask God to show you where you erred, you're on your way to the bottom. You're going to shipwreck your Christian life. If you don't ask the Lord to show you where you're wrong, and you're going to get shipwrecked. Now, I'll show you another one. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21. 1 Samuel 26, 21. Now here's another one. 
Bible says, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Now you want to know how to get shipwrecked and destroy your testimony and sink to the bottom? Just play the fool. Just play the fool. Saul says, I have erred exceedingly. If you want to shipwreck your Christian life, play the fool. All right, you want to live for God? Don't play the fool. Don't play the fool. All right, I'll give you something else. Now, uh, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to help you in your Christian life. Uh, Preaching might get difficult sometimes, but the Holy Spirit doesn't desire to kick your teeth in. He wants to help you. And these things, these verses and this stuff will keep you straight on your course. And uh, I guess if you could say it like this, when you set your compass, you need to set your you need to set your compass on your boat. It should be 1,611 degrees straight north. Amen. Amen. 1,611 degrees straight north. And uh, you shouldn't be worried about the winds or the gales. Matter of fact, you ain't steering the ship. Amen. You're just a shipmate. <laughs> That's right. And the captain's behind the wheel, and we don't have to worry about it. Amen. Amen. And if the captain's below deck having a nap, well, then go take a nap too. Because uh, we know that Jesus Christ ain't sleeping. He's at the right hand of God the Father. All right. So uh, it's up to you, as the old preacher said, in your little dinghy behind the ship of Zion, uh, what you're going to (laughs) do. Amen. So what are you going to do? You got to watch it. Look at Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, 24. Now, unfortunately, you and I have seen many individuals over the last 20 years get shipwrecked, haven't you? You have. If you've been saved and you've been faithful in church, you've seen a lot of individuals get shipwrecked. But I'm giving you stuff to help you prevent you from getting shipwrecked. All right, Mark 12, 24. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? All right, you know how you're going to shipwreck yourself in your Christian life? You're going to shipwreck yourself in your Christian life by not studying the Bible. Pretty simple, ain't it? You've got to study that book. Amen. Amen. If you don't know what the Scriptures say about things, it'll mess you up. You'll mess... Listen, there is no time in the Christian life that you ever not commanded not to study. I don't care if you're 100 years old, you should still be studying that book. If you don't know what the scripture says, it'll mess you up. You'll mess up your life. All right, something else that'll shipwreck you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. A couple more, we'll be done. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I don't want to shipwreck my Christian life. I don't want the Lord to go, all right, Evans, I've had it with you, and up on the shelf you go. I don't want to be on a shelf. Just like I never wanted to be on the bench. I never wanted to be on the sidelines. I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in taking the hit or giving the hit. Amen? I didn't want to be hurting. I wanted to be applying the hurt. (laughs) Amen? Worst thing in the world was when you get benched for missing a block or something. Evans, out! And they put that other guy in there that I didn't think was as good as me. (laughs) Probably, Probably was, you know. I hate being on the sidelines. Put me in. Now in the Christian life, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I wish I could clone myself. I really do. 
I want to serve. I want to serve in any way I can. I, I wish I could clean the church. I wish I could cut the grass. I wish I could do the windows. There's just not enough hours in the day. I don't want to shipwreck. First Corinthians, uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, 6.10. I remember this, uh, if you, I don't know if you're there or not. I remember this uh, year after year after year after year over there in Lupton. Uh, missionaries had come through. And I knew the Lord called me to preach. And every time a missionary had come through, I'm like, here it is, here it is. And I'd say, can I go? And the Lord's like, no. I'm like, oh. And every missionary come in, I'd surrender to go. I want to go. I want to go to you know, wherever, you know. I want to go to Africa. And, I wanna, and finally, I told my wife, we're going to go to the Arctic Circle. She's like, you're nuts. I don't know if she said that, but she implied it, amen. In the original Greek, she implied that I was nuts, that I was willing to go anywhere. And I just, the Lord just never dealt with us in going to the mission field anywhere. We went, even went to Canada for one year, for, oh, not for one year, but for a few uh, uh, weeks when just Julie and us were around. We're, we're, and we went over, we went over and prayed. We tried to get things stirred up. You ever do that in Christian life? Try to you go over there and look spiritual. We tried to get things stirred up. Oh, we went over there, prayed over some, in the city where the crime was high and, you know, and all, all this. And I'm uh, like, what'd you feel? It's cold. I feel nothing, man. I was freezing to death. Came home, <laughs> went to work for the ice cream company. <laughs> Serving the Lord. All right, First Timothy six ten. But man, I tell you, I'd, I'd surrender to go everywhere, I, including my neighbors across the street. Amen. I'm not going to surrender to go and then not surrender to go across the street. Amen. And neither should you. Look at First Timothy six ten. Bible says, "For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." I tell you what, you get the love of money, you'll shipwreck your life. You better listen. Now, some of these uh, old-timers and older folks have been around. They can, tell, they can tell you something. And people often equate material blessings with spirituality. That ain't the truth. I could name you a dozen men right now that left this church here, and they would tell you that God is blessing them because they have more money now than when they went here. And they'd say, well, you know, I'm making more money now than I've ever had before. And because you're making money, you think you're being blessed by God? What are you, stupid? Don't you see that? For the love of money is the root of all evil. And you and I were told to walk by faith, not by sight. And just because someone hands you a $100 bill, you think it equates to spiritual, being more spiritual? <laughs> Maybe the Lord feels sorry for your wife. I don't know. <laughs> Look at verse 20, something else. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain blab, blab yeah, blabblings. <laughs> That'll work. Babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, uh, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. All right, you know it'll uh, cause you to err from the faith and cause you to shipwreck if you're not careful? Your education. Your education will shipwreck you. You'll get to thinking that you know more than God does. I know folks like that. They get to thinking they're so smart. People think they're so smart, the preaching don't even bother them anymore. And you get to thinking that your King James Bible's got problems with it. You know what the problem with your King James Bible is? The person holding it. <laughs> Amen. He says, your, your Bible ever have any problems? Yes. What? When I hold it. <laughs> I'm the problem. Uh, Gary Duty said, when you find, when you read it, that there's something wrong, there's something wrong with you. That's it. But you've got to be careful. You can't let your education shipwreck you. And... Uh, if you don't watch it and you aren't careful, your education will cause you to sit in judgment of the Word of God. It will shipwreck your life. 
Let me give you one more, two more here. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter We want to avoid shipwreck. I don't want to be shipwrecked in the Christian life. People try to make that thing being shipwrecked have to do with, has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with your testimony and you finishing right for Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3. Now listen, if you obey these things that I'm giving you, I didn't write this book, but if you obey these things, God will bless you for it. Now look at 3.10. Hebrews 3.10. The Bible says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart. and They have not known my ways. You see that? You've got to keep your heart right. Christian, you've got to keep your heart right every single day. You, you've got to question yourself. Every chance you get, you say, Lord, is my heart right with you? That old hymn writer, is thy heart right with God, washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humbled and lowly, right in the sight of God? You've got to watch your heart. You've got to keep your heart right. And if you don't keep your heart right, you'll shipwreck your life and you'll be in a mess for sure. Here's a, let me give you this one in Jude. Only one chapter, so go over to the book of Jude, verse 11. You want to stay out of the path of getting shipwrecked. Jude. All right, Jude, verse 11. The Bible says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, I want you to notice here, first of all, that the way of Cain is unrepentance. The way of Cain is unrepentance. You know what I've learned over the years? You can sit underneath preaching and sit under it and sit under it and sit under it and never repent. And when you don't repent, you know what preaching does? You know what the Word of God will do to you when you sit under it and you won't repent? It'll make you hard. It'll harden you. You'll get hard as a rock. You'll get hard as a, what's a titanium or tungsten carbide or whatever that thing is. Isn't that tungsten? Is that the hardest? You'll get as hard as tungsten carbide. Why? You won't repent. You sit under it. And the more he preaches, you just get hard. That's why when you run into Christians and they're bitter, they're unrepentful. You see that? I'm, I know my finger's pointing down the middle, but I want you to understand that. When you run into Christians that are bitter and mad and angry, they've listened to preaching, but they've never taken care of the repentance thing in their own heart. That's the way of Cain. And you know, uh, when you don't repent, the Word of God will harden you to where you will no longer want to repent. Now listen, if you want to repent, man, that is a blessing. There's been times in my life I've wanted to repent. And I've been times, thank God, because there have been times in my life I didn't want to repent about nothing. I just wanted to be mad. Why? There's something about personality. When I'm mad, it kind of adds something to me, who I am, right? You, you work at them with the shop, they're always mad about something. Now, if that person, you came into the work one day, and they're no longer mad, well, well what happened? They are, are they okay? You see what I mean? See the attention? When you're mad all the time and people know it, everything's about you. You've got to suck all the oxygen out of the room, Right? you got to watch that. That's unrepentful. You know what bothers me as a preacher? You say, oh, my soul, a lot of things. No. You, you know what bothers me as a preacher is not who goes to the altar. 
That's not what bothers me. It's the fact that sometimes there's people that never go to the altar. That bothers me. Because that shows me they may be going in the way of Cain. I'll show you something else in that verse. Verse 11. Woe unto them, for they've gone in the way of Cain. There's your unrepentance. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. <clears throat> so not only is there unrepentance in verse 11, but there's rebellion towards authority in verse 11. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, you remember what happened with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Just about two months we preached about them fellers there. They tried to get everyone to go against Moses. You see that? Now, look, you'll err if you do those things, and you'll shipwreck your Christian life. Now, let's bring this thing back, 1 Timothy 19, and shut it down. All that to preach about being shipwrecked. I believe the Holy Spirit had something to say tonight. Something to say to everyone here. Paul says to Timothy, verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away. So you've got to realize some are putting their faith away. Some are putting their conscience away. They're turning the lights on it. Concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, of whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not learn, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, strange verse, ain't it? And so Paul turns them over to the devil that they might learn not to blaspheme. We'll pick that up next time we're together there. We'll pick up the last verse of that chapter, chapter 20. Why don't you stand, and we'll go ahead and go home. Don't get shipwrecked, Christian. Keep listening to the trumpet, and keep listening for the trumpet. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we sure thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful church family to be a part of. And thank you for our precious King.